Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement, or tasty tips to fuel optimal health, Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. And I am super excited to have back on the program. He's going to become a regular contributor to Talk Healthy Today, the fantastic Chris Kadowski, such a big fan. Christopher J. Kadowski has been a strength and conditioning coach for the last 20 years, training everyone from Navy SEALs to pro athletes and even your modern day housewives. Deb, quote, the body architect. He has a master's in kinesiology from the University of Hawaii, but has educated himself and become proficient in all aspects of health and wellness. Wellness. He lives and runs his business, Influential Health Solutions in South Florida. And for speaking engagements, you can contact him at Chris at InfluentialHealthSolutions.com. Today, we're going to be talking about the role strength training plays in the self-application of body work. Hello, Chris. Welcome back. Hello. Good morning. I'm beyond excited again to be here. So Chris was kind enough to start the one-on-one work with me. We mentioned this in our previous interview. If you haven't heard it, don't go now, but after the show or when you have time, go back and listen because it's incredible. We talked all about the fascia and fascia is everything. It really is. So be sure to listen to that. And it was great. I mean, it was just easy. It did hurt. But afterwards, I felt like someone just like loosened everything up and I can walk easier and I just felt so much better. So Chris, if you want to talk a little bit about the work you do and a little bit about what you did with me, and then let's jump into this topic. Okay. Well, um, I can't remember if we really went into it that deeply in our first conversation, but I had knee pain uh, starting when I was around 13, 14 years old, I was running up and down the court playing basketball and my knees felt like pins and needles. And, and afterwards they were numb and almost jelly-like. And, and I thought it was really weird. I mean, you're young, you don't know what's happening, what's going on. So I pretty much just ignored it. And the next day when I woke up, um, I was going up the stairs, which I think there were about four stairs in my high school and uh, my the nurse saw me and I was, you know, wincing and grabbing onto the railing. And she was like, is everything OK? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I play basketball and my knees hurt. And she's like, well, come on, let's come check them out. So, you know, she took the little reflex thing and, and tapped them. And I, I would my knee, my leg didn't even move. But I was like, ow, like that really hurt. So she called my mom. My mom took me to the doctor. Doctor took x-rays of my knees and looked at my mom and said, this is a normal, healthy bone structure of a 14-year-old boy. Like, I don't see anything that's wrong. Now, it wasn't my bones that hurt. Obviously, it was my tendon, okay? Yeah. And my mom kind of looked at me, and she's like, you know, are you faking this? And I'm like, no, mom. Oh, like, my gosh. You know, so my mom trusted me. She knew that I was being honest. But we went to two more doctors at this time, and they said the same thing. And they're like, you know, there's just, there's a little bit of inflammation, you know, give them some aspirin and put ice on the knees and and whatnot. So I pretty much understood that my condition was not fixable. Like that's what I was getting 
from the professionals that we were going to see. So for the remainder of my teens and my 20s, um, you know, I played sports, Division I college football, and then I became a strength and conditioning coach. So I ran and I squatted every single day in pain. Everything that I did with my lower body um, was pain. I could not sit in a car with my knees at 90 degrees, with my legs at 90 degrees for longer than like five, six minutes without the pain developing. And if I couldn't move them, like let's say if I was sitting in the back seat, oh my gosh, I mean, I would, I would be on the verge of blacking out sometimes in the, on the, from the pain. So it was very discouraging. And one day I ended up breaking down after doing a bike ride when I was living in Hawaii and I was about 29, 30 years old. And um, when I got done crying in my beer and feeling sorry for myself, I said, you know what? If people cannot fix me, if the people that I'm trusting to try and fix me cannot fix me, I, I need to fix myself. Like I'm I know that I'm smart enough to do this. And up until that point, I probably spent about thirty to $40,000 trying to fix my knee pain. Uh, I had grasping done, uh, you know, obviously extensive chiropractic to balance my, my spine and my hips. Um, I had ART, active release technique, done. I had a lot of ultrasound, probably more ice than Antarctica has to offer. Oh, okay. On my knees, I had prolotherapy done, which is where you the doctors inject you with um, a saline solution. Okay, I'm sorry, not a saline solution, a sugar solution, usually dextrose, something like that. And what ends up happening is the body recognizes that there is a foreign agent where it's not supposed to be. So the immune system sends a lot of healing properties to the area. That gave me the most relief but was probably the most detrimental in the long term. Tell us why. Because of the invasiveness of the injection, okay? And what that did was by taking the pain away from the site, but not correcting the actual problem, it gave me a false sense of security to go above and beyond what my body was capable of, okay? So I started to feel like, oh, my knees are healed. They're good. But the problem was how tight my quadriceps were and all of the trigger points and adhesions that were laying in the fascia and the muscle tissue, okay? So by making my knees feel better but not correcting the operating system of my knees, that led me to even more pain and more problems as, as I started to get older, okay? Wow. So once again, you know, is it worth it to treat the symptom or do you want to get rid of the, the cause, the actual problem? So when you were leading us into this conversation, you said, you know, it, it did hurt. And this is what a lot of people want to avoid. Hey, I'm in pain. You want me to get better, obviously. I see and I want to get better, but I kind of want to don't go in. I don't want to go into more pain in order right. to get better. And the saving grace in all of this is let's say, okay, if we have knee pain, we're not really going to be working in or around the knee. We're going to be working on the fascia and the muscles that tie into the knee. Right. So it's going to be, it's going to produce the same type of pain, but we're not actually going to be working in or pressing in the painful area. Okay. And this is how the body 
mechanistically works. This is the truth of how the body mechanistically works. Nothing gets broken alone and nothing heals alone. Okay, we need to look at the system as one gigantic whole. As I started to fix my own pain through my research, reading books, watching webinars, um, watching YouTube videos, I found Eric Dalton and a lot of his stuff started to make sense for me. Being a strength conditioning coach, I would constantly have athletes come in that were in pain. Football players would have stingers. Uh, basketball players would twist their ankle. Baseball players would come in with, uh, you know, their shoulder uh, kind of hurt or was pinching, right? And the normal rotator cuff exercises wasn't really doing it. So I would just ask them, I would say, you know, um, you want me to take a look at it? And they're like, well, yeah, why? Uh, can you do anything about it? I said, I don't know. Let me check and I'll see. And all I would do is palpate the area, feel around, and I would press on anything that did not make sense to me how normal muscle tissue should feel. And this is one of the gigantic, the absolutely gigantic gaps that we have in the westernized medical system when it comes to joint pain, okay? A practitioner will assess the joint and totally disregard the fascia and the muscle tissue leading into that area. All right. You go to a practitioner for a sciatica. I, I have pain. It's in my back and my, and my hip and it's going down my leg. And I've had people come in here and tell me where, you know, the practitioner literally spent two to three minutes with them, didn't touch them, did not ask anything about their daily habits, what they do in their job or their exercise and literally said, okay, I'm going to prescribe Vicodin and some muscle relaxers, go home and rest. That's crazy. Okay, so we have an architectural issue and we are given a chemical fix. This is how um, our evolutionary understanding of medicine has developed. We're treating joint pain like a disease, okay, and it is but it's not a disease of the joint and it's not a chemical disease. It is a disease of lack of space. Okay. The fascia gets tight. It restricts how the muscles operate. Okay. The joint then is has a restricted range of motion and may even operate in an aberrant pattern, collapsing to the inside or collapsing to the outside. All right that increases more stress on the joint. And as the, the, the fascia starts to sense that it's losing stability of the joint, it creates pain in that area. So you stop using your leg. It's trying to tell you don't use your leg. Okay. And then you still go out on the weekend and play basketball, or you still go Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you run, you don't warm up. You've been sitting all day. You're, you know, malnourished and, and, and you're, you don't have enough, you're sleep deprived. Okay. And you're over caffeinated. <laughs> so you're using, so you're using a false sense of energy. Okay. I tell people if you're drinking, if you're drinking, you know, four or five, six cups of caffeine during the day, but you're not tired, that's not your energy. Okay. That's, that, that's supplied by the coffee bean and, and the caffeine. All right. So, you know, we, we, we drive ourselves into this debt and that's what I did for close to 14, 15 years until I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, you know what, 
I'm the type of person where, um, and, and this was, I don't know where this hard headedness came from, but I guess I think it was a lot of resistance with my father when I was young, where my, my dad wanted me to do what he wanted me to do. And I, I had a completely different path in mind. And every time my dad told me that I couldn't do something, I would prove him wrong <laughs> and just say, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to tell me that I can't do it, I'm going to not only do it, but I'm going to excel at it. So when I kept on going to practitioner after practitioner, after practitioner, after practitioner, and you know, they would just throw their hands up and be like, I just, I don't, I don't think that, that, that you're, you have a realistic view of how much pain you're going to deal with in your life. I, I immediately would stop going to them and find somebody new. I, I needed somebody to believe. I wanted somebody to, to, to believe that I felt there was a fix. So that's the hope that I provide um, with, with people in my practice. Um, and, and I work with people that come in and I also work with people via the computer, you know, yeah. and one of the biggest things that I provide in, in what I help people with, like I said earlier, is hope. There's no refunds for anything because I'm not going to hold the space for us to fail. We will keep on, we will, I, I have so many tricks in my bag that I will find out which one is going to work for you. And then we are going to progress off of that. Right. Um, so that's, that's pretty much how I got to, to doing what I'm doing and um, where I am now. I like the, this, the role strength training plays in the self application of body work. So when I, when you were working with me, uh, I was told that I have uh, by somebody that I, I trust, and I've worked with a long time, that I have weak glute meads. Mm -hmm. And so if I could strengthen the glute meads, but also do the work I'm doing with you, that's going to help. So I'm guessing, right? So if you have weakness, that causes more tightness. Mm -hmm. Well, basically what we are doing as a species is we are evolutioning, evolutionizing ourselves in the wrong direction. Okay. Our glutes were an evolutionary muscle that allowed our body to stand upright. Okay. What have we become now? We have primarily become a seated species. Eight <laughs> right. to 12 hours, we are in a chair, um, you know, pounding away at a computer at a desk, and we only stand up to pee or go into the break room and get some food or get some water or coffee. Okay. So as our body starts to realize that our glutes are no longer serving the purpose they were meant to, what ends up happening is practice makes permanent. Okay. Practice doesn't make perfect. All right. Practice makes permanent. If you are practicing sitting as a human being for eight to 12 hours a day, your body says, okay, we must want to permanently stay in this position. So what does it do? It starts to shore things up, limiting our range of motion in an effort to be efficient. All right. By tightening specific areas, all tightness is predicated by weakness. If you're not using it, you're losing it. So the glutes start to get weak. And what happens? We get back pain. We get hamstring pain down the back of our leg, you know, in the form of sciatica or, or something else. 
And then that'll lead to maybe hip pain or knee pain or something like that. And if it's bad enough, it'll go all the way down to our ankle and foot. Okay. So all tightness is predicated by weakness. The glutes get weak because they're not being used. They start to get tight. Okay. And then as they start to get tight, we start to lose stability in the pelvis. We start to lose stability in the hip. So the body says, got to get tighter. So we don't incur injury. And when fascia and muscle tissue starts to get tight, two things happen in a negative feedback loop that are infinitely worse as we start to age. That they, they get infinitely worse as we start to age. Okay. So number one, we cannot get nutrition and oxygen to where it's needed most. The very end of a capillary is literally the size of one red blood cell. We're talking nanometers. We are talking nanometers, okay? How easy is it to block a capillary if the fascia and the muscle tissue get tight? Very, very easy, okay? The second thing that's going to happen is we are not going to be able to export waste from muscle energy production, okay? So what ends up happening is your nerves, your muscle, your fascia end up sitting in their own waste. And this becomes acidic, which adds another layer of, of irritation to the system. Okay. And I wish that, I, I wonder, people can go to my Instagram at rebuilt, R-I-B-Y-L-T. Okay. And I believe it's my second or third post that I put up. I show you three pictures of healthy fascia, which are absolutely pristine. They look like liquid crystal, okay? Or, you know, some of those really pretty icicles that are formed during the wintertime off of like a gutter per se or something like that. I love those. Where, yeah, you're just like, you know, it, it's kind of, let's say it's like, 42 degrees out and the snow is melting and you look at these icicles and it's like, you can almost see right through them. They're so beautiful. Right. Right. And then I show three different pictures of injured fascia. The first one is due to a surgery. The second one is an, is an adhesion. Okay. Uh, and then the third one is the kind of the same thing where you see it surrounded by capillaries and blood vessels and, and little adipose deposits and whatnot. Right. But there, there's no, did you see them on there or no? So I'm looking at it now. Oh, wow. It looks like those icicles. You're right. People yep. got to check this out. R-I-B-Y-L-T. Yeah. It's the third post that I have on there. And you can see the, the first three pictures are absolutely pristine. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous, right? Yeah. That is our fascia. That is our fiber optic connection. That is our life force. It's our architecture, okay? It is the primary communication system in the human body. It's everything that we operate off of, okay? Right. So you want to think about your nerves like electrical wires, okay, on the planet. And then you want to think about your fascia, like fiber optic cables. Electricity does not move as fast as light. It'll move, it moves fast. It definitely moves fast, 
but it, it does not move as quickly as light does. Okay, so we have been, modern medicine has been operating off of the basis that the nerves are what send signals in the human body. And while they do play a role, it's a secondary role, the fascia. People thought that muscle is what moves the human body. It is an assistive role in moving the body, not the primary role. Okay, Gibson et al. in 2009, uh, they did a study called Increased Pain from Muscle Fascia Following Eccentric Exercise, Animal and Human Findings. Okay, and this is where we get to the role strength plays again in the self-care of of the myofascial system in the human body, where they had a bunch of people uh, walk uh, down, I believe, down, uh, down a hill or down on a treadmill to create localized muscular soreness in the legs. Okay, and what they did the very next day was everybody came in, their legs were sore. And they injected a sugar solution, an irritant, into the quadriceps muscle. And nobody reported any more irritation to the soreness. Okay? Now, what they did second was they used an electron microscope and they injected the irritant this time into the ECM, into the extracellular matrix between the skin and the muscle. Okay? And everybody reported more soreness immediately. Okay. Oh, wow. So when we exercise, what gets sore? Our muscle or our fascia? It is our fascia. Our fascia is what gets sore. Okay. And when we look at what produces soreness or more soreness in exercise, it is the negative or the eccentric or the lowering action of a weight. Now, when we look at muscle tissue, muscle can only contract in one direction, okay? Muscle can only do the concentric moving of a weight or, you know, an external force, all right? If you were to do a bicep curl, somebody takes the weight from you at the top, they bring it down for you, and then you grab it again, do a bicep curl, Okay, what's going to end up happening is you'll wake up the next day, you won't get sore. You will not be sore from that. All right, but your muscle will grow. Okay, so once again, we have this assistiveness, okay, of muscle to fascia. Fascia says, I'm going to do the hardest part, I'm going to bring the weight down. And if you say that's not the hardest part, the hardest part is lifting, that's incorrect because I could probably take a four to 500 pound barbell off of the rack and sit down with it. Okay. So I can lower it, but I can't bring it back up. Okay. Because my muscle tissue is not big enough to assist in the raising of the bar. Okay. But I could probably, I can definitely take a 350 pound load down and up. The lowering is easy. And then the hard part coming up for my muscles. Okay. But your fascia is always going to be stronger than the hardest part. Okay. To protect you. So it can protect me as I'm lowering under, as I'm going under this load. But if the muscle tissue isn't strong enough to raise it, you're just not going to be able to stand up. Uh, Okay? Okay. So the bigger our muscle tissue gets, 
the more we can lift. Why? Because now we're providing greater surface area and more of an anchor for fascia to press up against. So if your muscle is stronger, the fascia that we just said can push against it and have more support? Exactly. Exactly. This is how the body mechanistically works. Okay. This is what is mechanistically true in the human body when it comes to movement. All right. So we need to understand what we need to understand in body work or the self care in body work is that in most instances, when we have had pain for, I would probably say a year or more chronic pain for a year or more, you are not just looking at opening up the fascia and the muscle tissue to get out of pain. You are also looking at restoring the strength capabilities of that section of muscle and fascia in order to fully restore the joint and get out of pain. If you just did the, the soft tissue work, you could probably reduce 80 to maybe 90% of the pain if you're lucky, with all, which a lot of people will be really happy with. In order to make sure that this does not come back with a vengeance, we have to start doing a little bit of strength training to reintroduce support to that area, re-educate the fascia to strengthen the structures leading into the joint that's creating pain um, and, and, and in order to, to fully get rid of it to where it does not come back. There is a gentleman uh, called, his name is Andrew Locke. He's a, a physiotherapist in Australia, actually. Um, the man is a veritable mountain. He's a power lifter. He's, he's massive. Okay. And what he does is he actually, um, eradicates lower back pain in people by doing an abnormal amount of kettlebell swings. Okay. So, I mean, just, just think about that for a second. And, and he, he had proof. He showed person came in blown out discs, I believe in uh, L3, L4, something like that. And he went right to his protocol. They did another MRI. And what did it show? The discs had blown back up. They were no longer herniated. And the person no longer had any back pain. Right? So, I mean, that that's his protocol. I didn't really dive into the specifics of how he did it. But he actually showed medical proof that you can restore back pain through movement and, and through loading that movement. And what does everybody else want to do? You know, don't, don't pick anything up. Make sure your technique is good. Oh, and go extra, go do a lot of sit-ups, you know, to, to support your core. And I tell people in my back pain Bible, your abs are not your freaking core. They, they, they are not. Okay. The abs for the most part. And I, I tell people I've never done a sit-up and felt stronger running or jumping or squatting. Never, never in my life have I done a sit-up or anything relating to a sit-up that has improved my athletic performance. Now, does that mean that you just omit sit-ups in your life or, or anything related Crunches. to your abdominals? No, absolutely not. All I'm saying is it is not as major of a role player in what we call core stability in athletics that everybody thinks it is. They look great. Shredded abs look wonderful. Okay. And they're, they're highly coveted. But once again, it's kind of like 
a, a physiological way of pulling the wool over your eyes. And an excessive amount of, of abdominal work can actually lead to a tremendous amount of back pain. You know what, Chris? I'd like to do a whole show on this. Okay, so you start with the fascial release, right? Right. Either using a ball or other objects that you have, or if you're working with people with your hands as well. When do you add the strength training? And I'm wondering if, or I would assume that varies from person to person, or is it something that do the, the, the release work first and then do your strength training? Or is it a different day? Like, give us all the details correct. on that. Yeah, correct. So I explain that in my book. Which book? Uh, the Back Pain Bible. You want to get rid of approximately 60 to 70% of the pain first with the soft tissue release, okay, tools um, and, and, and uh, procedure, then you want to start the strength training work, okay? So typically, we want to get a majority of the pain to go away first. Then we can start the strength training. And what's going to happen is you're going to take a step back because old tissue is functioning like new again. And it does this in a very, very sloppy manner, okay? It's kind of like watching Bambi stand up for the first time, and then it's just like, Foop. Oh, my God, that's such a great visual. You know, like laying on it. So the, the, the first time that you are going to, the first couple of times you are going to exercise, what's going to happen is the, the fascia almost kind of gets alarmed like a scared little puppy, and it's like, oh, no, this isn't good for the knee and the hip. So the hamstring starts to form an adhesion again. Okay. And what you're going to do is either, you know, directly after the strength training session or the very next day, you're going to wake up, you're going to get your, the ball in your hamstring and you're going to start to roll it around and roll it around and iron those adhesions back out again. You reset the tissue. Wednesday, you go into the strength training session again. And this time, the fascia says, oh, okay, you know, I'm not as afraid of this right now, but I'm still just a little bit hesitant. So instead of like 50% of, of the adhesion forming, maybe only about 25 or 33% of it forms. You wake up on Thursday or directly after that session on Wednesday, you roll on the hamstring to calm the system down again. And then Friday, when you go in, the tissue is like, hey, I'm no longer afraid of this. Like, I know what I have to do. I remember how I'm supposed to operate. I have the space now to operate. And, and like I've said, and I'll probably say a thousand times more in, in our segments, is space is the, the true health of the human body. So I'm doing, I do Pilates twice a week. Okay. okay. And I walk my dogs like six days a week. So I'm continuing to do that. So I will use the ball first before I do the Pilates and walking my dogs, right? Yes. To, to loosen up. Yes. Because I didn't want to get people the impression of people that you can't do any exercise at all until you get your fascia where it needs to be, right? Like, how does that work? Because you didn't tell me to stop doing my Pilates. Right. You just said, right. use the ball first or stop walking your dogs. Just because I want to make sure that's clear. So... What I would recommend, the, the only thing that I would recommend, you don't want to stop movement or exercise. You just don't want to introduce anything new. Okay. And this is if you have chronic pain. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. So let's say you just did spinning, right? And your knees started to hurt while you were doing the spinning. 
and you kept spinning for six years and your knees kept hurting. And now, you know, you're every time you get done, you have your two bags of ice and your NSAIDs right, right in your bag. And, and, you know, you're walking out all wrapped up and, and coked up on, on the aspirin. Um, and then you say, you, you find one of my books or my podcasts and, and it's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to do, um, I'm going to do some soft tissue work on my quads and then I'm going to go do Pilates. Mm, okay. <laughs> okay. You don't want to introduce a new form of strength training or exercise to your body because it is not familiar with the movement patterns. Okay. You can keep spinning because your body knows that. Okay, right. Even though you're having pain, even though you're having pain, yes, you can still exercise. And, you know, this is coming from my own experience too. And here's a short story. Um, I was still continuing to open up adhesions in my quadriceps. All right. And as I was doing so, I was noticing that I was getting stronger and stronger and stronger in my back squat. Okay. Um, to pr- levels previously unseen. And when I was playing football, when I was 20, and this was happening in my forties. Okay. In my, in my early forties, late thirties, early forties. And I was fascinated and I was trying to figure this out. Like, how is this happening? Like I'm getting exponentially stronger and I'm opening up my fascia at the same time. And that's because my fascia now understands that it can exercise these loads without an incidence of injury or pain. Mm, okay. Okay. But what would happen is I would go in, I'd back squat 315 pounds for five to eight repetitions one day. And then as I would open up an adhesion, the strength training gave more resilience to my system. And as I opened up an adhesion in my quadricep, now that reduced the learning of my fascial system. Because now this adhesion is old muscle in fascia that is learning new things again. Okay. So I would go into the weight room and I would squat 275 pounds one time and it would feel like I had a house on top of me. Oh my God. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, how did I lose like 40? Because if you count the repetitions and whatnot, I'm losing about 40 to 50 pounds of strength in my system in just one week. And it was because my body is learning something new. Old tissue is learning something new again for the first time. And then as I worked through that, I would push through the plateau again. And now all of a sudden I'm at like 30, 335 pounds for five repetitions, like really, really easy. And my system now has become confident. Okay. I have created space for my tissue to express its strength capabilities, all right? And when we don't listen to that is when we get injured. I've had many, many people who have been like, oh, I, I, you know, I, my, my knee hurts and my knee is killing me and I heard a pop. They went, they got the MRI, x-rays, nothing's torn, thank goodness, whatnot. But they're like, I just don't understand what happened and like I'm in an incredible pain. Well, how long was your knee in pain before that? Oh, for probably about a year and a half. How long have you been trying to hit a one rep max in your back squat? Oh, for like the last six weeks. Okay, so when you keep on pushing, trying to push through that pain, the system is always going to win. The body is always going to keep the score and say, nope, I can't do that. 
Okay, the first time you just, you fail the lift. The second time you fail the lift, maybe the pain in your knee got a little bit worse. The third and the fourth and the fifth time, same thing, okay? And then the sixth time, the body says, you're not listening to me. I'm gonna explode something. We're taking this to the next level because I cannot produce the force capabilities you're asking me to. I can't do it. So now you get a pop. The next time you get a crack or a tear, you know, and, and now you're, you're getting surgery. You're now, now we have to be invasive in order to correct it. Okay. So these are the levels that we need to look for in the human body. And these are the things that we need to pay attention to. All right. If you are constantly playing golf or tennis and your elbow is killing you, now the aspirin isn't working. So you're getting one of those little straps. Okay. The pain gets a little bit better, but then it starts to ramp up again. All right. Now you're looking for a more serious injury, something that's probably going to have to be invasive in order to correct. Okay. So there, there's always levels to these things. Um, I've never had somebody come into my practice where they were like, I was completely pain free. And then this happened. There was always some underlying condition, (laughs) you know, and they just ignored it or they thought that it wasn't that big of a deal. And, you know, then something happens and they're in uber amounts of pain and they need help. That's why I've always hated that expression. No pain, no gain. Pain is a sign that you need to like, whoa, wait, what's going on? There's, there's maybe discomfort or I'm tired or this is difficult, but the word pain to me, that's just, I hate that expression. Yeah. And a lot of times, um, the lay people that I see in my practice who are not athletes and who do not exercise, they have a hard time differentiating between good pain and bad pain between, Uh, between pain and soreness. Yes. That's yeah. Right. So people will come in and they'll be like, I feel so much better, but I was in so much pain the last couple of days. And I say, was it pain or was it soreness? Oh no, no. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It was sore. It was just sore. And and that's what we get. Oftentimes, a, a lot of times when we release an adhesion or when we get rid of a trigger point, that was a cramp in the muscle. Okay. So it's like you holding a fist all day, every day for the last 81 days. If you were to come in and say, my hand and my forearm hurts, Chris, can you help me? I would say, just open up your hand and relax it. Could you imagine how sore your hand would be and your (laughs) forearm would be from, from holding that grip? It's the same thing that muscle is doing. Muscle and fascia has an infinite capability to to contract, okay? But it has a limited capability to expand, all right? It can expand, but it it has a limited sense to do so. So when you're working with somebody, you're going to get them loosened up or you're going to get them working on the fascia and the fascial release. Is that the right word? Fascial release? Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to work on the strength training with them. Yes. And the good news is that you can do this like you did with me over the computer, which is amazing. They just have to get like four things, right? Right. I still have to get that other ball, by the way. (laughs) This is a good reminder. Get it whenever you're ready. I will. And then you're able to do both the fascial release and the strength training with them. 
Now, what sure. what forms of does it depend? Do you do a lot of body work? Do you use variable resistance bands? Do you use weights? Like, what do you, what do you use? It's a, use? It depends on the level or caliber caliber of athlete and and their body awareness. Um, for the okay. most part, we're just starting off with body weight exercises, I like that. and then and then there are also a lot of uh, people where they'll start off with something like a 25 or a 35 pound kettlebell, okay, you know, or, or dumbbell, something like that. It, you do not have to go out and buy a complete home gym. That's good to know. I yeah. know there's so much in our body, right? It's pretty amazing. Chris, this has been great. Is there anything else you want to add until the next time? And I'd love to spend a whole show, like I said, talking about the abs. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, I think we covered everything that uh, I really wanted to today. Uh, I don't think that there's really too much more I can share. The only thing that I just want to leave people with every single show is, is that there is a solution. Okay. And what ends up happening is our, our reasoning will fail us before um, physiology will. It's powerful. And what I mean by that is, you know, if we're not listening to the correct person, we will start to believe that there is no hope for us. And we accept our condition and we stop looking. And then and we just accept our fate. That's what I refused to do when I was, when I, when I turned 30, I was like, there has to be, there, there has to be a solution to this that you cannot tell me that I'm going to have to live like this for the rest of my life. And it was that dogged determination that helped me find a solution. And, you know, now I've probably helped over uh, four to 5,000 different people find their solution. Okay. So, um, if once again, if, if anybody's out there that's listening to this and you can't really find a solution to what's ailing you, um, set up a free consultation with me and we'll figure it out together. Great. How do they reach you, Chris? Chris at InfluentialHealthSolutions.com or just send me a, a DM on Instagram um, at Rebuilt, R-I-B-Y-L-T. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much. I always learn so much from you. Oh, you're very welcome. And please don't judge me on my Instagram page because uh, I, I just don't have enough time to consistently sure. put posts up, but they are coming and I'm doing them slowly and uh, making sure that they're well thought out. It's just, it's an education platform there. You know, I, I do absolutely oh, yeah. no selling or anything of that sort. It's helping people understand that there's hope to the condition that's ailing them. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy Today. Please do rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And also, if you want some behind the scenes on Talk Healthy Today or a chance monthly to win my book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex, which is a memoir, cookbook, healthy lifestyle guide, it's the title is just a play on words, please go to 
www.lisadavismph.com. Sign up for my newsletter. And once a month, you'll be getting some great information as well as being entered into a contest to win my book. So again, go to www.lisadavismph.com. Get more on Talk Healthy Today and keep coming back. There's always great information. Thank you.